Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we are preaching. So I will go first. Um, what is astonishing me and what is breaking my heart again this week, as so many weeks, is just how hard it is to be poor in this country and how expensive it is to be poor in this country and how invisible it is to be poor in this country. Um, And because I have this great privilege of pastoring this congregation that actually is economically diverse, Mm. I see and know as friends and brothers and sisters Um, people in my congregation who are working so hard and are so frugal and can stretch a dollar farther than I can imagine and um, just live on the edge all the time. And one thing happens, one medical expense, one accident, one lost job, and they just fall down a cliff and it is just impossible to get back up again. Um, and, and, you know, it's so hard because, you know, people, I think the great gift about this, this congregation. And one of the reasons I think that economically diverse congregations are so important Mm. is that when people are in relationship with people who are economically disadvantaged, other people who are not are incredibly generous and loving, but the systems Mm. are still set up to reject and discriminate against people on the basis of poverty, on the basis of credit scores. And let's just be real, a credit score is a poverty indication. If you live paycheck to paycheck, it is almost impossible to keep a good credit score because Mm. if you have a medical emergency and you end up in the hospital and you Mm. have a bill that you can't pay, your credit score is gonna be tanked. And like, what were you supposed to do about that? How were you supposed to avoid that? And so if you, I mean, it's just so difficult that even when people have the money to rent an apartment or buy a house or get a car loan, they will still get rejected. And because the system is set up to discriminate against them. And honestly, we have systems set up to support people who completely fall down into homelessness, right? But nothing set up to help people who are just barely making it, right? And I just, I feel so frustrated at how often people like me when they're in economically segregated communities are willing to be charitable to institutions Mm. and then feel generous and feel done, right? Or who are willing to um, like read an article in the New York Times and go, gosh, it's terrible. We need more affordable housing. I agree. It's a problem. And then be done. Instead of feeling like as a believer, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, I'm not just called to um, give out of my extra, out of my largesse, but I'm cl- I'm called to get involved yeah. in risky ways 
um, with the lives of my brothers and sisters. Mm. And, and I'm also called to um, advocate against unjust policies, be they um, educational policies mm. or housing policies, even if they don't affect me personally. Mm. And even if they're to my personal economic advantage and like not sit around and wait for somebody else to solve the problem, like Congress to solve the problem. Like it just, and I just feel like because our communities are so economically segregated, it's so easy for us to believe that good people Mm. never fall into these holes or that Mm. anybody, I mean, you hear the stories all the time, like people on welfare, they walk in and they have a cell phone and they're driving Mercedes Benz and they have a good manicure. First of all, I just want to say, can you find one person who fits that stereotype? Yes, probably. But are they standing next to 11 other people who don't? Mm. Yes. Mm. But you just want to hold on to that one example so that you don't have to feel any type of way about the deep systemic injustice that you profit from, A. And then B, I think that it is just amazing that we are fine with middle class and wealthy people um, indulging themselves in mm. ways, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, you feel bad, let's go out and buy Starbucks, that's okay. Mm-hmm. But let someone who lives with the constant burden yeah. and stress of yeah. poverty, let them choose to do one thing mm. that would be pleasurable mm-hmm. and unnecessary. Like, let them have the audacity yeah. to get a $15 manicure, yeah. and then we just say, well, you can just go straight to hell and yeah. take your kids with you because you are lazy bum mm, yeah, who doesn't work yeah, hard, right? Yeah. So we excuse a certain amount of, we, we condone a certain kind of economic, like if you're middle class, you can put stuff on your yeah. credit card and laugh about it. Yeah. But if you are poor and you do that, you are seen and dismissed by people as having a, a moral problem That's because good. that means mm-hmm. I don't have to be my brother's keeper mm-hmm. because my brother did this to his own damn self. Mm-hmm. And I'm just saying like, it is just... I mean, on the one hand, astonishing to see in an economically diverse congregation how people will show up for one another Mm. on a personal way and like really, really beautiful ways Mm. because the people of God are ready to love one another and it's really gorgeous. But it's also so frustrating to see that even when that happens, the systems Mm. are so rigged against people in poverty that it almost doesn't matter. Like, and I'm just really sad and astonished to see people carry burdens that are just um, unbearable and just unconscionable in a nation that is this wealthy. Mm. And, to, and just to know that there are so many people who feel, even the body of Christ, mm. who feel like it's not their problem. And that is devastating to me because Cain and Abel, the answer is you are your brother's keeper. You are. You are. So anyway, that's well, we what talk we talk a lot about um, churches being ethnically segregated, mm-hmm. but we really don't talk much about congregations being financially, economically class segregated. segregated. And they are. They are. And when they are, that means those who are middle class, those who are wealthy, um, have the privilege of not seeing um, mm-hmm. a whole lot of things that um, would, if they were. If they were in relationship, you're right. There are a lot of generous people. Um, well, and not even generous. Like, there are a lot of people who just, who who want to be just people. Yes. Who would say, like, this isn't even about me being generous. This is mm. about me saying, I, I want to stand up against this yeah. kind of injustice. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so, I, yeah, but when we just don't see it, we really don't see it. Mm -hmm. So, anyway, that is what is astonishing you. Well, I'm astonished by uh, one of our small groups uh, at uh, Derrida Church. Uh, they've been reading a book by Francis Chan called Letters to the Church, mm -hmm. and um, you know, if you know Francis Chan, he um, he was a mega church pastor, and he mm -hmm. left that life. Um, and uh, I think he's involved in a church planting organization in California, and um, I think he's doing some house church ministry. Um, but um, normally, this group at Dorita Church, they'll do a study, very faithful to read mm -hmm. these books, answer the questions, read the scriptures, and then it's on to the next study. And uh, they were going through this book, and there's a chapter, chapter 7, called Crucified. And uh, it's a chapter on discipleship. Mm -hmm. And Chan highlights scriptures like, um, if you would be my disciple, take up your cross and mm -hmm. follow me. If you're going to be my disciple, you have to hate uh, mother and father, brother and mm -hmm. sister. And it, it kind of wrecked them. I mean, they, mm -hmm. they stopped. And one of the co-leaders of the group called me and said, would you come to our class and help us talk about these issues. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful because clearly there's just been this, this conviction of the Holy Spirit. I was sharing while we were uh, walking that um, one of the members of this group <laughs> said, from, from my time as a kid in Sunday school to now as an adult, I have never heard that following Jesus meant suffering, mm -hmm. right? That what, what, mm. what, what? What an indictment of yes. our denomination. Yes, yes. Well, and I said to him, you know, thank you, first of all, for your honesty. Mm -hmm. honesty, And I thank the group for being willing to just sit with this and wrestle with this and commended them, celebrated them, because clearly this is the work of the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. in this group. But I also said, look, part of the fault is, you know, people like me who have led churches in such a way as to communicate to you that the church is about you, that the church is about mm -hmm. your preferences, the church is about making you feel a certain kind of good way and then to um, get you to give offering and then go about your merry right. way. That, without... that the kingdom of God is conducive to living a middle-class American lifestyle. Ah, there you go. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and so it was just a rich, rich time. And I'm so grateful and astonished by the work of the Spirit. Like, like I had nothing to do with this. Mm -hmm. um, and yet every once in a while, I'll poke my head into this small group. Uh, but so grateful that they called me and said, hey, let's, let's talk about this. And so I don't know um, what the Holy Spirit is going to do next with them. But I think they are... They are beginning a conversation that's relevant for the whole church and about a discipleship and maturity and what does it look like for us to be a multi-ethnic congregation that is growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus? Um, because in times before, it was a congregation that looked alike, had a mm -hmm. similar um, lifestyle, and um, basically the church was about fellowship. Like mm -hmm. We gather, we're nice people, we have some meals. Um, worship sermons are kind of devotionals to help you have a good week, mm -hmm. to get you started mm -hmm. on your week. Mm -hmm. And really not anything more. Well, 
we, we raised money to send our kids on mission trips mm-hmm. and totally forgot the mission in our backyard. Now mm-hmm. we're asking, holy cow, why are we even here on this plot of ground? So I'm just astonished by the work of the Spirit in this congregation. Well, I, I mean, I think of that because I've, I've had similar congregate conversations with other really, I'm assuming this is a Presbyterian person. Who, yes. Who, yeah. Yes. I mean, I've had similar conversations with lifelong Presbyterians who, who have done exactly what the church asked them to do, yes. right? They have come to worship every Sunday. Mm-hmm. They have stayed for the Bible study. Yes. They have taken their turn in the nursery. They have tithed. Yep. I mean, they have been the people that the church has asked them to be. They served on committees. Right. And the problem is the church has domesticated the gospel. And now there is, thank God, a reckoning coming mm-hmm. because nobody wants a domesticated gospel. Like nobody culturally, it's no longer helpful or relevant and nobody on a spiritual journey wants a domesticated gospel. So, I mean, but I do feel this real tenderness in my heart towards Presbyterians who, who came looking for Jesus and Mm. we were not faithful Mm -hmm. to them, Mm -hmm. mainly sometimes Mm because we didn't want to scare them off because we wanted to keep them and their money to build our institutions. Right. Mm -hmm. That I do feel like I feel no no hardness in my heart, no judgment towards them, nothing but like you were um, not well pastored and you might have been well loved, Mm. right? Mm. But, but people lied to you Mm -hmm. about the cost of discipleship and, and got to stop doing it. And, and a lot of times we lie to people about the cost of discipleship, frankly, because we're trying to protect our own JOBs and, and, so anyway, I... well, what's exciting about all of that for me is that even though we are in a season of, of um, tight finances and um, less than 100 people in worship, and so there's anxiety, this kind of thing is exciting. I'm like, uh, okay, right. yes. Right. This because is people energizing. are encountering the gospel. They're encountering yes. the gospel and yes. being convicted mm-hmm. by it. And, and asking relevant questions about why we exist and what God wants us to do mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I I was grateful to have a, a priestly moment um, mm-hmm. with them to say, where you are, you get no judgment from me. Right. Absolutely. Like, Absolutely not. Absolutely. If you are a place where mm-hmm. you feel like you can't pray in public or you don't know the scripture as well as you think you ought, mm-hmm. I hear that and I say, yes, you're probably right, but you also need to hear from me. I do not judge you in any right. way for that. Right. You're but allowed to start where you are. That's right. But. Let's, We're not going to lie to you and say, this is all that the Lord has for you yes, or that this is all that's yes. respected, expected of you. Right? And they don't want me to say that. Now, right. there, there, there's been a little pushback, but now some of those same people are saying, I'm starting to hear you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. that is, um, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm grateful for that mm-hmm. because I know that that is the work of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Well, what are you thinking about? I am thinking about Easter. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I really am thinking about Easter, and I know we said in our last podcast, no, two podcasts ago, that Easter is in 30 seconds, and it is on my mind. This Sunday's <laughs> Palm Sunday, and um, yep. you know, there's this there's this thinking in um, the black church that if you can't preach um, Ezekiel 37, you know, dry bones, mm-hmm. and if you can't preach the resurrection... You need to pack your stuff and go home. You need, you need to sit down. Which is right? fair. Yes. You, if you can't preach the resurrection, you need to sit 
down. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I, I get excited every year uh, to preach Good Friday and to preach the resurrection and also Pentecost. Those are my three mm-hmm. favorite um, mm-hmm. times to preach, but um, especially Easter, right? And I think every year I hit certain notes well, mm-hmm. right? Jesus conquered death. Got that note. Um, the resurrection means that um, God has said yes to Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. Sound that note. Uh, resurrection means that uh, the devil is a defeated foe. Yes, I sound that note uh, every year. The resurrection means that the church has this good news to proclaim. Let's go and share. I sound that note. But this year, I think I have an additional note that I haven't hit well over the past 20 years. And that is, and I think I talked about this um, several weeks ago, uh, the note of new creation. That mm-hmm. the resurrection, I, I have been guilty of proclaiming the resurrection as the end, right? So there's mm-hmm. Good Friday and resurrection mm-hmm. is the, is the, is the, is the, the good ending Mm -hmm. and really it is the beginning of new creation Mm -hmm. and the more I think about that the more I think about uh, the reality that yes at the same time we live in a world that seems that does um, have this evil machinery that crushes people Mm -hmm. and at the same time there is another world that is often invisible. It is emerging. It it will be the, um, it will take over. It is the yeast. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is the mustard seed that will grow. It is the thing that's going to take over, and that is the kingdom. And um, this is this is helping me not only proclaim um, resurrection, but also in my thinking about evil in the world, right? So sometimes when the church sings a hymn like, this is my father's world, I'm conflicted because, you know, the, the charismatic side of me says, no, the devil is busy. How, how can you say this? Yeah, is, right? world and culture are not the same thing. Yes. Yes. And so it's like, yes, I, I, can, I can spot the evil. And at the same time, there is another reality. I mean, here, here's what I love. I mean, A, we've been talking about this a lot lately, and, and every single time in the farewell discourse that we talk about world, every single time I'm saying, listen, I'm going to use the word world because that's the language of the text, but I need you to understand, I'm not talking about creation. That's I'm right. talking about culture. And if you go all the way back to Genesis and you look at when Cain was banished mm-hmm. and marked, you know, still mm-hmm. a part of God's promises, still protected. But what did Cain do? Cain, who said, I'm not my brother's keeper. What mm-hmm. did he do? He started the culture, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. like right. literally yes. talks about the, you yes. know, the beginning of cities and the beginning yes. of music, I think, with Tubal Cain. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like literally culture is begun by people who 
um, who are all of us, right? Yeah. Let me be clear. Yeah. But yeah. like, but by people who felt alienated from God, mm-hmm. who 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 felt like their brothers and sisters were a threat mm-hmm. to be conquered or mm-hmm. neutralized. Instead, I mean, you know, who who rejected God's provision for them and rejected yeah. God's yeah. ways. That's the culture, and the culture is different than creation, which is why you see so many evangelical Christians feel. So like laugh about like, who cares about a polar bear idiot? Right. And be like, first of all, you should care about a polar bear because you should read the Bible and read Genesis and, and read God stewardship. God created the polar bear and, and evil is really anti-creation. Well, and not only that, but even if you don't care, so goodness knows, I'm not really a nature person, but even if you don't care about the polar bear, which is a problem between you and the Lord, like you, you should care that there are a lot of people who care about the polar, the people that you say you care about being in relationship with. And when yeah. you continually act as if creation was garbage yeah. to be thrown away, what you do is desecrate the gospel that you say that you want to share, right? And so not only is it unbiblical, but it's just counterproductive to your stated aim yeah. to anyway. So I preached a funeral and rant. two <laughs> I preached I preached a funeral two weeks ago and I ended on this note of new creation that this person that we love, um, we're, we're not waiting to simply join them in heaven to be these disembodied souls mm-hmm. floating around forever and ever. No, this this world, this creation will be um, made new and we're going to mm-hmm. live. On, and I could, when I said we're going to be resurrected and live on this earth forever and ever, I saw people perk up and I've gotten so much feedback right. from the, like, wow. I'm like, right. so, and, and it just reminded me, yes, I have not sounded this note very well in my preaching. And so I'm, I'm really excited to, to add this to my um, my proclamation uh, about the resurrection. That's good. So, That's good. what what are you thinking about? Uh, I'm also thinking about Easter. I read in of all places the Christian Century, which hmm. I know, um, but I read an article that I actually thought was really good. Um, where they're talking about you know do not explain the resurrection, right? And that Easter is for proclaiming the resurrection and not explaining the resurrection. And I, I, I mean, like that, that really resonates with me. I mean, it's the same thing that you're talking about, that the reality is the center of our faith is resurrection. That is mm-hmm. this, it's not a one and done mm-hmm. event. It is not a, a promise of what God might do in the future. It is a reality that God is continually bringing um, to bear here and now new mm-hmm. creation mm-hmm. out of that resurrection is happening here and now. And so we, as God's people need to understand mm-hmm. that God is in the business of resurrection. And so we are in the business of, um, being a part of God's miraculous work, which means a, we got to go towards the dead and dying hopeless places because there is no resurrection without death. Right. And so we're trying to protect ourselves from the very place where resurrection happens. I mean, one, one cannot create new life until the old life has gone. Right. And so anyway, I, I just think, you know, and I really, what I do appreciate is that, you know, when we often, I think, um, we try to make the resurrection believable, 
which is stupid. It's not believable. It's a miracle. We try to make it believable. We try to make it, you, you know, somehow in line. You know, we, we turn it into a metaphor. We make it something that people yes. feel, yeah. Yeah. you know, that they yeah. can just seamlessly integrate into their way of thinking and seeing the world. As you and said it's a moment not. ago, we domesticate it. Yes, absolutely. So it is not believable. It is a miracle. I'm not explaining it to you. I can't explain it to you. All I can say is this is the evidence for resurrection that I see not just in the gospels, but in, you know, human history and in our own lives. And, um, this is what we believe in, right? Like we've been talking about, like, you can, you can want Jesus to be your savior and not believe in the kingdom of God, right? And to be able to say the kingdom of God is a place where resurrection is happening. Mm. And, and if you're not interested in resurrection, Mm. then you're not interested in entering into the kingdom of God, right? Mm. Um, so anyway, I, I just, I, I, I really, that really, they, they talk about the opening thing was in the church of the sepulchre. What am I trying to say? Um, sepulchre? Yes. Thank oh, you. Yes. Thank in you. Jerusalem. I didn't yeah, believe, yeah. I didn't trust myself in the church of the sepulchre. There's a sign outside the door, apparently that says, you know, no explanations allowed inside the sanctuary. And they're saying that it's because tour guides would come in and like, wah, 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 loudly when people were actually trying to worship. Right. But it's just such a great metaphor to be able I've to say, I know it's wow, a great that, metaphor, right? Great. I don't know if it's true. Let me yeah. say, um, but, but I, I thought that was a really great idea is that I don't, I don't feel like I've ever really um, tried to explain or rationalize resurrection, but I do think it's just what you're saying. Mm-hmm. It's important to be able to say, it's not just that we assent as if God needs our permission yeah. <laughs> to have resurrected Jesus from the dead, but it's not only that we assent to it, but that we say, this is God's ongoing work mm. and I want to be a part of it, which requires mm. coming to a place and getting involved in a way where if God doesn't show up, you're out of luck. Yeah. And that is a difficult thing. Mm. Um, for anyone to do, but particularly a person who has some agency and control and privilege in the world as it is. So anyway, what are you preaching on this Sunday? Well, it's Palm it's Sunday. Palm Sunday. It's Palm Sunday. No so Passion Sunday at the Grove. <laughs> Pretty much you have four, cho- four choices, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've chosen uh, Luke's telling of the triumphal entry. Mm-hmm. And it's because um, our theme this year is 52 Weeks of Joy. And Luke is the only gospel writer that uses the word joy in telling uh, the Palm Sunday narrative. And I, I, I need to, to, to study this a little more. Um, I, I think I'm right about this. But in, in, in the other narratives, it seems that it's a larger group of people in the city of Jerusalem who are shouting Hosanna many of whom turn on Jesus later. Right. But I think Luke, um, I don't know if he, if he's focusing on the group before they enter Jerusalem, or but it seems to be a smaller group mm-hmm. of disciples. He keeps saying the disciples, the disi- not the crowds, mm-hmm. not yeah. the citizens of Jerusalem, but it's, and mm-hmm. they are the ones who are shouting and proclaiming Hosanna. And... Um, they, they, of course, they misunderstand Jesus' messiahship, but I'm not sure if, if this is the same group of people that later shout crucify him. Yeah, what I love with that, and just, I'm a queen of interrupting, but like, <laughs> I think it's really interesting to see the connection between those disciples who are there, who are shouting Hosanna, and you're saying, of course, they didn't understand. Mm-hmm. And to connect that to like the 
really brave, faithful man in your congregation who said, this is the first time I've heard this conversation. To be able to say like, Jesus has always worked with disciples who didn't understand, right? So there's nothing to be embarrassed or ashamed about. If you're, well, I mean, you should, right? Because we need to help our people see that you are right there. Like the story is, is about you. It's always been about you. You're not, I mean, I think sometimes people feel like, well, they were real Christians back then, but I'm kind of not, you know, good material or Jesus can't work with me. And to be able to say like, no, this is the way it's always been. Nobody can believe what God is doing until they see it. And sometimes even after they see it, they can't. Nobody can believe what God is doing until they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they are just experiencing it. And the great thing about the Luke telling of this particular narrative is that what they do understand they are so excited about right and it's not what jesus wants gonna do well well they i mean they get some things right so at some level they understand that jesus is a king right that he's fulfilling scripture uh they understand enough to throw their cloaks on the ground which is what you do when you're welcoming a king they understand enough um to shout Hosanna, like save us, but they don't, they don't fully get it, of course. And I, what I adore about Luke's telling is that place where the Pharisees or the Pharisee goes to Jesus and says, teacher, tell your disciples to be quiet. I know, quiet. you're a big fan oh, of, lo- and the rocks will praise. Yes. Um, and that it, uh, Jesus, the, the, the stones will shout mm-hmm. out, and I love the... That, just that Greek term, because it's not scream. Right. It's, it's, it has two parts. It's volume and boldness. Yeah. So even though the disciples don't fully understand, what they do get is, is proclaimed with volume and boldness. Well, and here's the connection too that I think is interesting is A, it's another example of creation, right? Like Mm. the world is not, you know, the world is proclaiming and celebrating, right? The stones are part of creation, right? So there's that. And I also think of like Alice Walker and the color purple, Mm. right? Like just this idea that like, how how do you not see the way God does resurrection when you look at the color purple and you pass by as if... As if it had to be, right? Yeah. As it, you oh, know, and so good. that's, that's sort of that idea of like, because I think so much, so many times we have such an anthropomorphic understanding of the gospel mm-hmm. and understanding of like our own necessity. Like yeah. I got to get my yeah. act together or else yeah. resurrection can't happen. And to be able to say like, no, the stones the most proclaim the creation, inanimate object. right? Like, so we yeah. can participate yeah. in yeah. it, but yeah. we don't need to feel like, I mean, I just like the idea of being able to say like, if you don't understand, mm. if you're worried that, oh my goodness, you've been worshiping God for all the wrong things all these years. Yeah. Like if yeah. you feel like this, I, I believe in this, but I can't pull it off. God, you need to be able to say like, Hey, God can work with that. And God will work with that. And, and they you, do come to a greater understanding. They later. do, yes. but not on their own wisdom, yeah. on their own yeah. trying. I mean, yeah. as you say really well all the time, like this is not a self-help gospel, right? Yeah. Like they get it when the spirit 
dwells in them. And that is not something that they ask for, and it is not something that they manufacture. It's something that they accept, right? But they don't make that happen. It's something that happens to them. And so I think that's really helpful. Like when people come to a place of weakness and are like, oh my gosh, like I don't even know if I believe this. I don't even know if I want this. I'm scared of this. I'm half in, half out to be able to say to people, this is called faith, yeah, right? Right, right, right. This is right. all what God has ever worked with. Yeah, yeah. Is just like feeble, half-hearted people who want to believe but help my unbelief. Yeah. Like if you, that's where you that's are. Good, good news, good. right? That's the only you know wow. because what that means is you're not certain, and when humans are certain, they're usually certain of their own agenda or their idols, well, right? And you and you stop being open. You stop you stop being vulnerable faith, to God. Seeking understanding. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I love it. I love it. Sorry. So what are you preaching? Um so I'm preaching the donkey. Um, okay, all right. And I I just really um A I want to say we haven't even. <laughs> I love that we've been talking about creation, and there's this bird in the background. I don't know if it will get right? picked it's up. Like, in sorry, friends. Yes. Um, so two things. Um, I it's Palm Sunday. I hate equal palms. You said you were going to oh, join me yes, in this rant, yes, and you yes. leave me out here in the cold. I'm sorry. Yes, I should mention that. The reason that I hate equal palms are twofold. Um, one, I just feel like people are so proud to have ordered their eco palms and supported you can pat yourself on the back right and And i am glad that people fair trade palms okay like i'm i'm that is a good thing but the way that we fetishize it and the way that we get people to believe that that that's like a virtue and is the completion of their like that bothers me and so a i am both fully committed to palm sunday like i do not believe in in order to, you know, make worship more convenient, to make Holy Work more, Week more convenient to disciples, we'll put the passion mm. on the Sunday before Easter so that nobody has to come back to church during the week. Like, mm. I don't, I don't, I'm not down with it. Like, yeah. I believe yeah. that extra effort is actually in, required. And I, I do think that's domesticating, right? Like, if we can't even get people to come back to church to worship during Holy Week, like, then, like, if that's too much, we have bigger problems, right? Yes. So we're doing Palm Sunday. I believe in Palm Sunday. Um, I think that we really need to wrestle with the fact, like, why has the tradition and all four Gospels emphasized something which really, on the surface of it, is just not very important? Like, why does it matter how Jesus walked into Jerusalem? Why does it matter about the palms and the crowds and the Hosanna? Like, why do we remember this so much um, that really, you know, what do we preach every year? You know, the nativity we preach every year, resurrection we preach every year. I would, I mean, well, not on a Sunday, right? I mean, like not, you know, maybe people preach Pentecost every year, maybe, but that's a big if, like not everyone will really do that. But Palm Sunday is one of those stories Mm -hmm. that every year I think Mm -hmm. we should come to. And then we need to dig into like, why is this so important? Mm -hmm. Because according to our natural thinking, it's not only not that important, it's kind of embarrassing. Like people celebrated him, but later on they turned on him. Like what's the deal with, mm-hmm. you know, the weirdo crowd. And to me, I like Palm Sunday, but I don't like the emphasis on the palms because yeah. the palms, I think 
like allow people to like elevate this and, and pretend that it was some sort of a dignified, I know the palm symbolize royalty. I know there's a history in that and I know that's appropriate, but I feel like we focus on that because it makes us comfortable to see mm-hmm. Jesus kind of honored in mm-hmm. this way. And the reality is I think we need to focus on the donkey. Like I think that Jesus went out of his way to not look respectable mm-hmm. coming into the city, right? Mm-hmm. To went out of his way to subvert and challenge the idea of a king as one who rides above in mm-hmm. safety and power over mm-hmm. and Jesus comes in on this donkey that is mm-hmm. humble and you know just this idea that the culture of the kingdom of God is different than the culture mm-hmm. of um, uh, created by humans and I think every believer should be able to like the donkey should be a symbol that people should be able to understand in the way Mm. that they should be able to understand the cross, right? Like if we Mm. don't understand the donkey, I feel like it betrays the fact that we want Jesus to be respectable in the eyes of the world, right? And we try to make the gospel respectable in the eyes Mm. of the culture. Mm -hmm. And we try to make life as a disciple respectable. We want to be honored. We want to be successful. We want people to admire us. Mm. And I just think that that sometimes leads us into, you know, domesticating the gospel, into making it um, too, you know, too in line with the culture's values. And so I think to be able to say, you know, it seems to me in the church today, there's a clear choice between wanting to be respectable in the eyes of the culture and wanting to be Christ-like. And Jesus was saying, I want to confuse and offend you. I mm. want to disrupt this narrative that the good and the virtuous always rise to the top mm. and use their power in appropriate ways. And those who are suffering deserved it and don't matter that the way things are is the way God ordains them to be, right? Jesus is trying to stick his thumb in the eye of that ideology. And I just think the donkey does that. And I wish on Palm Sunday, you know, we focused on yeah. the donkeys yeah. instead of on the palms. Sounds like your sermon is going to ask the question, what if the body of Christ rode a donkey, Mm -hmm. right? Like, like, and we've talked about it before, like one example among millions of examples is like, you know, we talk about churches having an expectation of what kind of car a pastor drives. And to some extent that is kind of culturally condoned. And I I definitely understand um, the historical antecedents of communities of color, mm-hmm. having a church be this institution where black people and people of color could be honored. Mm-hmm. And so one mm-hmm. of the ways that's embodied is by providing for your pastor or wanting your pastor sure. to be able to show up in the world that was perceived as honorable mm-hmm. in, by the white race. I, I totally and get it, that. But you also have to add to that this understanding of, 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 of the community understanding itself as um, a, a corporate body. There's a collective. There's not so much individual. Correct. Right. Right. It's, right. It's this is symbolic of us. Well, and I just think like that. I think I really understand how that was good and right and healthy sure. in a certain way. Sure. But now I feel like we, as a community, need to be cons- continually challenging for ourselves. Mm-hmm like luxury consumer culture and like why, like I very much want to try and I fail a lot, but like I want to try to make economic choices that are more in line with the kingdom than with the culture. And I, you know, I, I don't want to drive, um, a car that is, you know I mean? I, I just, I want 
to, I want us as a community to really live our, our values that what brings joy and meaning, mm. not material goods. Yeah. It's the life of the spirit. And at the same time, I want us as a community to be able to say, but the material conditions of our brothers and sisters being oppressed by poverty matter, matter. right? So it's not a matter of indifference whether a child goes to a school that offers AP courses and doesn't. Mm -hmm. But it is a matter of indifference what kind of a car you drive. Mm -hmm. And so why do we as, as what are we trying to prove mm -hmm. when we make choices um, anyway, so I, I just think the donkey would be a helpful way to, yeah, to help yeah. us really, that symbol can be a helpful way um, to think about how we move in American consumer culture. Yeah, I, I can't think of the last time I preached a sermon on um, humility mm -hmm. or meekness. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, and that's offensive in our culture. Yeah. I mean, if you're the best, you're supposed to tell everyone that you're the oh, best. Yes. You're supposed to like crow about it. Mm -hmm. Right. And that, that's something that we, you know, and I mean, even to the point that like, if you make a great play, you need to publicly acknowledge God. Cause that's another way of proclaiming that you are the best because yes. you're the one who's yes. acknowledging God publicly so that everyone yes. can see it. Yes. Oy I, I had someone recently say to me, um, I like you preacher, <laughs> but your problem is you need to get your name out there. Right. You're not, there's just not enough promotion, right? And on the one hand, this person was sincerely seeking to compliment. Right. But on the other hand, in a way that's like, no, I, I don't, I don't do that. Well, and it's hard because I, I mean, this brings back to the deeper question and we got it in this podcast, but the deeper question that we wrestle with a lot, which is what, what do we do with ambition and what is healthy yeah. and holy ambition? Mm -hmm. And what does it look like to say, like, I am excited about the gospel. Mm -hmm. I am excited about the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. I am excited about the way that the gospel has been debased and domesticated and yeah. how there are people who will come alive mm -hmm. and who want to yeah. be challenged and who yeah. want to go deeper and who yeah. want, you know, so I'm excited about getting that out there mm -hmm. and also like anybody who stands up in front of a group of people once a week and says, Hey, Hello. let me tell you what God thinks. Hello. I have an ego yeah. and it's an occupational hazard and yeah. trying to really navigate the difference between self-promotion that's unhealthy and the great honor and excitement of being able sure. to be the one who gets to speak this message. Like that's just mm -hmm. difficult yeah. to, to yeah. do. So yeah. 